around the world. The Spirit is moving and a voice is being heard. Welcome to The Voice of Evangelism with David Langford. You can write to The Voice of Evangelism at P.O. Box 502, Kayser, North Carolina, 28020. We'll give you that address again at the close of today's broadcast. But here now is David Langford. Hello, friends. Pastor David Langford here today. We'd like to welcome you this July the 19th, 2020, Monday, excuse me, 2021. We trust that uh, the Spirit and the grace of God has already pervaded, touched your heart and life in a very, very special way. You know, there's nothing like the presence of God in our lives. The strength, the grace, the peace, the placidity, the comfort, the joy that Christ imparts to every one of us because we are the children of God. And as we taught there in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How do we get that peace? We get that peace by confessing our sins. We get that peace by an admission we are lost. And once we admit that and we are forgiven through the vicarious, efficacious work of Christ on the cross, we are now justified, made holy, innocent, no longer guilty of sin because Jesus paid our sin's debt. That's how we are saved. There is no other way for men to be saved. And regrettably, too many people live in the rudimentary elements of religion. They get a, a dogma, they get a doctrine, uh, they get some little something, and that's where they live, that's where they abide 24-7. But they don't go on further into the deeper things of God. The Word of God is so vast, and the Word of God is so deep. And instead of searching the Scriptures to grow in grace and in knowledge, people just don't even attempt to seek the deeper things of God. Sometimes I will spend hours, if not a day or two, on one Bible verse trying to grasp the full understanding of what the epistle is saying to me. There's much to be learned in the scriptures, if I must say so. I do want to remind you of our upcoming revival meeting at Heritage USA, Fort Mill, South Carolina, September the 30th through October the 3rd. I'm going to humbly please ask you to register and come and be a part of these meetings. I certainly hope and I pray there is enough interest in these meetings where people want to get into the presence of God that people will come, attend, and support. If there's not enough interest uh, after this meeting, uh, we'll just move on and won't have any more. But in the hour in which we are living, we need a genuine, bona fide touch of God. We need the touch of the Lord. And we many times don't get that. I, 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 I talk to a lot of people who are discouraged. They're beleaguered with church, regrettably. 
I understand why. Because they go and they don't ever get anything. When's the last time you just went to church and the Holy Spirit of God began to brood over the service in the sanctuary and there was not even any preaching, there was no need for an altar call because God showed up and, 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 and you're, you were just soaked, you were drenched in the presence of God, just like a, a soaking, just soaking in God's presence. Think of what I'm saying. That's what we need for the days that are coming. So please go to our website and register September the 3rd through October the 3rd. I'll be speaking, opening up Friday morning, and be speaking Sunday morning. Russ Dizdar will be speaking one day and preaching one night. Brother Jimmy D. Smith will be preaching one night, speaking once during the day. And then Brother Paul Jacobs will be speaking twice, one day, once on Friday, once on Saturday. Don't have enough night services to give every speaker a night service. But we're doing everything that we can, uh, hopefully, to be a blessing to those who make the effort to come out and be with us in this, what I believe will be a great, great, great revival meeting, and the Spirit of God will be manifest and touch our hearts and touch our lives. Before we get into the Word today, I want to, I want to play a song. It's an old song. It's called Daystar, Shine Down on Me. And the Cathedral Quartet, they do a great job on this. But I pray it will bless your heart and life immensely. We need God to shine on our path in this hour.
We certainly need the light of Christ to shine on our paths in these last days. The psalmist said in Psalms 119, verse 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Jesus said in John 8, 12, I'm the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. John 1, 4, In him was life, and the light was the life of men. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. It is imperative to have the light, because if you don't have the light, then you dwell, you live in darkness. That is the realm in which Satan exists in darkness. Again, John 1, 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Let's go to Romans chapter 6. We left off last Tuesday in verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. 
Now, we, we, we spoke and addressed this. This has nothing to do with water baptism. This is a spiritual baptism into the body of Christ. So let me ask you a question. If you can be baptized in the body of Christ spiritually, but you've not been water baptized physically, how then can you be baptized in the body if it takes water baptism to save you? Have you ever thought about that? You see, it takes the blood of Jesus Christ to redeem a man. When a man is redeemed, justified by the blood, he is baptized into the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's no actual physical sign of that. There's no certificate. You don't get an award or a plaque or anything of that nature saying, hey, look here, look here. You are a Christian. Why? Because you've been baptized into the body. No, that is something that takes place spiritually, spiritually, because we have been baptized into the body through the Holy Ghost. It is a spiritual baptism. I'm not talking about baptism in the Holy Ghost. I'm talking about baptism into the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, for as by one spirit we are all baptized into one body. That's the church. You can be baptized into the church, the body of Christ, and never be water baptized. So if you're baptized into the church, the body, you must be saved. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit, Again, this is a spiritual baptism. And again, it's not the baptism in the Holy Ghost. It is baptism into the body of Christ. So Paul says here in Romans 6 and 3 that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Now, again, that is another type of a baptism. The, the word baptism is plural in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 2. There are many baptisms. I know you probably never heard that. I know you've probably never heard nobody preach that or teach that, but that is scriptural, see? And again, we fail to go further in the, in the, in the things of God. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 2, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of resurrection of the, of the dead and of eternal judgment. So the doctrine of baptisms. Baptism into the church, the body. Water baptism, when you go and you're baptized in literal physical water. Baptism in the Holy Spirit. You receive the baptism in the Holy Ghost. Baptism unto Christ's death. Baptized in his death. You see, these are multitudes of baptism. We just have to figure out when the Bible addresses these baptisms, who and what are they? How are they accomplished? How are they manifested? Again, most of it is through the Holy Spirit. When I say through the Holy Spirit, he does that work for us because we can't do that either. We cannot do that for ourselves either. He has to help us do that. Now, no man 
has any part whatsoever in his redemption. I was, I was in prayer this morning, and the scripture came to my mind there in, in, in the book of Psalms, where the psalmist says that God is plenteous, he is plenteous in redemption. Psalms 130, verse 7, let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption. And I was thanking God for how plenteous and how much mercy and redemption there is for anybody who wants it. You, you can have it. Why? Because God is plenteous in it. He has much grace. He has much mercy, much redemption, much forgiveness, much reconciliation, much restoration. There is much of that in God. Why? Because of what Jesus did on the cross. Now, again, it is error. It is false teaching. It is false doctrine to believe that any human being has any part in their salvation. It's absolute fallacy to believe that. If it was possible for men to have a part in their redemption, why did Jesus, while on the cross and in the garden, I should say, ask the Father to remove the bitter cup that he was about to drink? See, Christ did ask for another way, another means, another mode, another method, he asked that God would provide another way of salvation, redemption, and forgiveness for mankind. See, Christ could see what he was about to have to go into. And as I was praying this morning, not only did I see the plenteous and forgiveness and redemption, I saw love on a, on a grand scale. Now think about what Jesus said while on the cross Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They don't know what they're doing. That's Romans 5 and 8. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In spite of the heinous things these men were doing to Christ, he overlooked it, he loved them, them and asked the Father, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Friend, that is plenteous in redemption, forgiveness, and mercy. So, in Mark 13 and 36, Jesus said, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Jesus is talking to the Father. Now, that's the same quote. Gabriel gives Mary in Luke 1, 37, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. Nothing shall be impossible. Jesus is, in a sense, saying the exact same thing. Father, all things are possible unto thee. You can deliver me. I don't have to go to the cross. You can make another way. He said, take away this cup from me. Remove it. Take this bitter heinous cup of sin and iniquity. Take it away, but nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. Jesus was 
asking the Father if there's another method, another means. Would you please remove this cup and not suffer me to have to drink it? Why, why am I emphasizing this so adamantly? Because Jesus sought for another way, and if there could have been another way, the Father would have provided it, but there was no other way, meaning there's no other way to be born again. There's no other way to be saved. There's no other way to be redeemed. Thus, nothing in this world plays any role in your redemption. Nothing. I mean, absolutely nothing whatsoever. This was the double negative in the Greek in Acts 4.12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's nothing and there's no other man wherein you can find redemption. That's why you have the double negatives there according to the Greek in, in Acts 4.12. Neither, that's your first negative, neither is there salvation and any other. There is none. There's the word none, N-O-N-E. That's your second negative. So now you have double negatives, meaning there's no one, there's no thing wherein you can find salvation. Yet there are people, regrettably, sadly, I mean sadly, they teach, no, you got to do this. And I marvel at these people and their hypocrisy. They'll teach this, and they'll also teach publicly, well, you can't do this. You can't go to the movies. You can't. You, there's so much they emphasize, yet these people go to the movies. They do things that, they're, that they shouldn't do. So don't be a hypocrite. You see, hypocrites are going to hell. Now, you may not believe that, but you need to reread Matthew chapter 23. Hypocrites are going to hell. You see, when, when, you're, when you are a purveyor of one ideology, that's almost borderline and in, 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 in controlling people's lives. There is so much more to God, who he is, and what he is. The question is, are we willing to go further in him and seek out the deeper things of God? Christ asked the Father, is there anything any other way possible to redeem mankind? If there was, I believe the Father would have provided because the Father loved the Son. But the Father also loved you and I. So he gave his Son as a substitutionary for our sins, for our iniquities, so we don't have to pay that price. Because you see, we were wretched, immoral, debased, degradated sinners. So there's nothing in us that can redeem us. There's no such thing as self-justification. Now, people attempt to do that. They, they, they seek to justify many things in their lives, meaning self-justification. But they're still not justified in anything that they do. There's no other way for man to be redeemed, even though many seek to add to the finished work of Christ. Think about what I just said. If anybody tells you other than believing Jesus, you have to do this and this and this and this to be saved, they are in error, they are erroneous, they are purveyors of fallacy and falsehood. The, the, you know, when you read the scriptures, if you look closely many times, you can see 
manifestations of conviction. You, 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 you have to look closely. You, you have to see. And then throughout the scriptures, there were times when, when men were convicted of their sins and there were men that were able to see and to witness that conviction. See? And when God moves and, 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 and that is there, it's proof. It's proof that the Spirit of God is what brings men to salvation. Here's what Paul said to King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26, beginning at verse 26. For the king, King Agrippa, knoweth of these things, talking about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, before whom also I speak freely, for I am, I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from thee, for this thing was not done in a corner. What happened to Jesus was not done in a quarter, in a corner. It was done openly before mankind. And King Agrippa, you know about this. Now I'm going to show you how Paul, through the Holy Ghost, saw conviction and the Holy Spirit dealing with King Agrippa. Verse 27, Acts 26, verse 27. King Agrippa? Believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. And Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds, these chains, these shackles on my hands and my feet. Most of the time, Paul was shackled, chained to another Roman soldier. But here in Acts 26, 27, Paul saw the conviction of God on King Agrippa. He said, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest see, King Agrippa turned and said, not today. But Paul could see the conviction. History records that King Agrippa ultimately committed suicide. He took his life. We're told in Proverbs 27, 1, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. You may be listening to me today. You may be a sinner. You may be a backslider. You're not ready to come to God, but the Holy Ghost is dealing with you to repent of your sins and come to the saving grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. But you say, like King Agrippa, not today, another time. I know what I'm talking about. I lived that kind of life. When I was backslidden away from God, when I would go to my family gatherings for Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever it was, I was drinking liquor and smoking dope. I didn't want nobody praying for me. I didn't want nobody praying with me. I didn't want nobody attempting to lead me to Jesus. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you. But because I was called to preach, God was exceptionally merciful to me. But I, I wouldn't get around anybody that was a Christian sober because I didn't want to give my life to Christ and serve him. I didn't want to, I wasn't ready. 
But on June the 6th, 1978, the Holy Spirit said, if you don't repent tonight, I will never deal with you again. I knew I had come to the end. I had come to the end. Running from God. I tasted of the precious things of the Holy Spirit of God. I knew that God was real. But I chose to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And God could have cut me off a thousand times. And I told him in prayer this morning, as a man, if he was a man, he would have cut me off. I'm talking about Elohim, the the deity, the Godhead. I'm not talking about Jesus. Jesus was a man, but he was also God. I'm, I'm, I'm removing the part of that humanity, but as God... As, as, as Moses said in, in Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, shall he not do it? Hath he spoken, shall he not make it good? But he says, God is not a man that he should lie. Men lie. God does not lie. God may be dealing with you today. I can't see you. I, I can't see see. Paul could see King Agrippa. He could see the convicting power of God on him. He said, I know thou believest. And to prove Paul was right, King Agrippa said, thou almost persuadest me to be a Christian. I'm almost there, but not today. And then history says he committed suicide. God was trying to save him from suicide. God was trying to save him from utter destruction. See, the devil doesn't want you to see your demise, your destruction, your chaos, your dilemma, your crisis. Satan never wills that you see that. Never. We all have that appointment in eternity. We all have an expiration date on us. I don't know when mine is. You don't know when yours is. We just live our lives. Most of us believe we're in good health, good shape. We're just going to keep on living. Oh, you live long enough, you will die. Christ tarries long enough, you will die. Don't put off the Lord. If God is dealing with you, repent of your sins. Tell him you're sorry and turn from your wicked ways and follow the Lord and pick up your cross daily and come after Jesus. He'll help you get over every hurdle you must face. I said he will help you get over every hurdle you must face. He helped me overcome everything. He will help you because he loves you. Romans 6, verse 4, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. Again, that's not water. That is a spiritual baptism. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So just just what does that mean? We are also not only baptized into the body, the church, we're baptized or we are buried into his death. See, when they placed Christ into a tomb, our sins, our transgressions were buried with him. And when we accept him as our Lord and Savior, we have our own spiritual death, we have our own spiritual crucifixion. Yet, on the other side, we live 
in the newness of life. Because we have died, we now live in the newness of life. That's Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So see, Paul is living another life. Paul is living in the newness of life, but he also died. See, we we have to die. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, gave himself for me, meaning Jesus redeemed me. You had no part in redemption. Jesus did it for you. He did for you what you could not do for yourself. I just am amazed at how arduous and complicated and difficult people make salvation, redemption. When you become born again, just as Christ was buried and placed in a tomb, so are our sins placed and buried in a tomb, and they are remembered against us no more. Now, just like a physical death, in a physical death, there is separation from everything in life. When you die, your body, your remains are absolutely in its totality separated because of physical death. You, you have no more attachments to this earth and this world, zero. You say, well, I left something on the dresser. I need to go get it. Sorry, it's over with. I wanted to get this done. I didn't get it done. You'll never get it done. We're talking in the natural. Because death is a total separation from this world. Now, here's the grave warning. Anyone who remains in their sins, anyone who remains in their transgressions, if they die in that state, if they die in that manner, they will remain separated from Jehovah. You, you, once you go out into eternity, you can't go back and fix anything. You can't go back and straighten out anything. You can't go back and ask for forgiveness. When Agrippa committed suicide and went out into eternity, he couldn't come back and say, I'd like to hear the same message from Paul about salvation. Don't play with God. We've got too much chicanery, too much trickery, too much garbage in the so-called Christian world today that's nothing but garbage, nothing but rhetorical jargon, and it does nothing for the souls of men. As believers, we die with Christ. We are buried with Christ. We are raised and resurrected with Christ unto eternal life, and that eternal life is assured, but it's conditional. You must remain in Christ to have that eternal life. 
If you don't remain, you walk away. I did not remain. I walked away as a young man. I was a prodigal. I walked away from God. I regret it. I hate it. It's a reality. But I've, I've always tried to use that as a type of spiritual education. <laughs> I, I've never sat one day in a Bible school, a college, a uh, theological seminary, none of those things, I should say cemetery. Uh, I, I never once spent a moment in a college. Not saying that that's bad or evil, but if you, if you take God out of the equation, these liberal theological schools are corrupting and the ministers are, 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 are skewed mentally and spiritually, terribly skewed. Now, we are water baptized and we are buried in a watery grave. That is symbolic of our death. It's just a symbol. It doesn't save you. It is a symbol of our death. When we come up out of the watery grave, we are resurrected in, the, in a, spiritual renew, a spiritual newness. Now, let me throw one here at you. You think Jesus was water baptized because he had sin? John said, whoa, 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 you need to baptize me. Jesus said, no, you baptize me that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Why was Jesus water baptized? Why was Jesus water baptized? Was he a sinner? No. He was baptized symbolic of his death, burial, and resurrection. And so it is with you and I as a believer. We're baptized because it is symbolic of our death, burial, and resurrection. Our death, crucified life, we are raised again in Christ, newness of life. That's all water baptism symbolizes. has nothing to do with salvation. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Now, water baptism is symbolic. You and I are, if we die, physically die in this life, we are awaiting our resurrected, glorified body just like the one Jesus had after his resurrection. Now, I don't want to get sidetracked here, but in the millennial, you're going to have two factions of people in the earth. You're going to have the saints of God, the church, the body of Christ that has been glorified, and you're going to have people just like you and I living in the earth during that thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. That's why it says of his government, there shall be no end. Now, can you imagine Congress has nothing but Christians in it? The Senate has nothing but Christians in it? Can you imagine that? Can you embrace that? Can you believe that? That's, but that's what we're going to have. See, that's because God is going to establish his kingdom and the earth. Luke 1, 33. And he, Jesus, shall reign over the house of Jacob, Israel, forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. It is an everlasting kingdom. It is not a, 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 a parenthetical kingdom. It is an endless, endless kingdom. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. It is endless. Now, 
you and I are going to receive glorified bodies, whether it's in the resurrection or the transformation when Christ returns to the earth. This body that we possess now is going to be changed. 1 John 3, 1 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Beloved, it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. Beloved, what manner, or behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now, right now, if you're redeemed, we are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, we shall see him as he is, and every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. So let's, let's look at verse 2 for just a moment. It doth not yet appear what we shall be. Now that says to me, John is grappling to understand a true meaning of a glorified body. Now he saw the fruit of that when he saw Jesus there in the 24th chapter of the book of Luke. You know, the, the disciples were in this room. They were standing there. They were talking. No doubt they were talking about many things. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears. The Bible said they were affrighted. This is the 24th chapter of Luke. They were frightened. And suppose they'd seen a spirit or better yet, a ghost, pneuma. That's Greek, spirit. He said, why are you troubled? Why are, why are you perplexed? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet. For it is I myself handle me and see for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. Now that's Luke 24 verse 39. Handle me and see for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. Now, this is why I believe John says, it doth not yet appear what we shall be. In, in all of our humanity, we, we, we struggle with some of these things when God says them to us. Now, notice Jesus never said, handle me, a spirit hath not flesh and blood and bones. He said, a spirit hath not flesh and bone as you see me have. But the Bible tells us in Leviticus 17, 11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. So how can this man have life, yet he has no blood? How does Christ have life in him, yet he has no blood? Because the Bible is clear, the life of the flesh is given. The life, of the, the life of the flesh is in the blood. That's how we have life. 
the sermon I preached two years ago uh, at the conference in Hickory, the age of deception I preached on the soul of man. And that's where the soul is, is in the blood. I'm not going to get on that, but I want you to understand this. So then how could Christ move, walk, think, no doubt have strength? He ate fish, he ate honey, et cetera, et cetera. How? It is the Holy Ghost. It is the Spirit of God that's coursing through his glorified body, quote, unquote, veins. It is the Spirit of God, V-E-I-N-S, veins, that's running through him. It'll be flowing through you. You will be more alive than you are now listening to me. I, I believe in a glorified body, you, your sensitivity, hearing, taste, smell, everything. Why? Because it cannot be impeded through humanity because you're, you're a glorified person. I almost want to say you're, you're, you're not human. Thus John says, it doth not yet appear what we shall be. In other words, trying to grasp to understand this type of a body. I could take this further, but I want to be very discreet and diplomatic. I believe you'll be known as you are known. But there will be no sexuality in the sense because there's no need for procreation. And I'll just keep it at that point and not go any further. But see, that human drive, demand, etc., it won't exist. And everybody says, will I get married? Will I have kids? You're not going to get married. You're not going to have kids. I know that disappoints some of you. Remember, Jesus said, we're like angels in the resurrection. We neither marry nor are given in marriage. If you don't die, there's no need to procreate. Yet on the flip side of the coin, you're going to have human beings in the earth that are going to marry, and they're going to procreate, et cetera, et cetera. When you go to that dimension of a glorified body, you, you don't understand it now, but those things won't have any meaning to you at that time. Those, this, this is the mystery of the church. I, I don't want to get too far out here because I, I certainly don't want to confuse anyone. This is some of the mystery of the church, the body. Because I believe in eternity, after the thousand-year millennial reign, I believe there will be people, human beings, go into eternity because they're living right, they'll go into eternity with God, and the, the earth will continue to replenish itself, et cetera, et cetera. But we'll be in eternity, no sickness, no disease, no germs, no nothing. Hard to imagine a world like that. But again, you'll have two factions, human beings, mortal beings, and immortal beings. We will truly, I love that term, we will truly be the immortals. Sounds Star Wars, don't it? I love the word lutron, L-U-T-R-N. That's the Greek word for ransom. We that have been ransomed, washed in the blood of the Lamb, in the first resurrection are going to receive glorified bodies. And so it's going to be, a, it's going to be something that we don't, understand and can fully grasp because you see you're, you're thinking horizontal and not vertical 
All of these questions I get about marriage and children, and Paul says you're going to be known as you were known. People will know that's David Langford, but I'll have a glorified body. The things, and, and see, only God, only God can do the things he's going to do in, in, in dealing with humanity. Now, after a new heaven and a new earth, now again, this will be after the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ, according to Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. Now, my understanding of that is very simple. God, in his sovereignty, can take away our remembrance of what the old world and all of that was like. Because how would it be heaven and our lives be glorious if we remembered our loved ones that maybe died and, and, and were lost? You see, God is going to negate every bit of that because he's God. See? And the former heaven former earth shall not be remembered nor come into mind. Now think about that. That's Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17. So it's going to be so new. And for just a better lack of words and, and, and simplicity, it's as though God is going to wash away from every mind of the redeemed or those that have glorified bodies, all of the former stuff. You see, you're thinking vertically, horizontally. <laughs> Get it right here in a minute. You're thinking naturally in the earth. You're thinking sideways when you need to be thinking upward, heavenly. Colossians 3, 2, set your affection on things above and not on the earth. You're, we're, I think I said vertical a while ago. I meant horizontal. We're, we're sideways. We, we need to be vertical. You need to understand, and that's hard to do to understand what I'm saying, is that we won't even think. You see, that, that element of humanity will cease to exist. And that's what Paul is trying to say now. You got to be crucified with Christ. You got to be dead. You got to be buried. You, you got to quit thinking like that. Remember, as I said earlier in the program about Jesus on the cross, Father, forgive them for they don't know what, to, what they do. Here is a man, a mortal man. Now, I know he's God, but see, he could think far more superior than any human being because he was not tainted with sin. Sin was not in his loins. He, he didn't deal with that. He, he didn't look at a woman in the sense that a man does today and says, oh, I want her, or a woman looks at a man and says, oh, I want him. Christ understood that, but he didn't go there because there was nothing in him for Satan to appeal to. You and I cannot say that there is something, regrettably, there is something in every one of us that Satan can't appeal to to make us fall, thus he's able to tempt us. There was nothing in Jesus. There was nothing in Jesus for the devil to appeal to to make Jesus fall. 
John chapter 14, verse 30, Hereafter, I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. Hath nothing in me. What is Jesus saying? There is nothing in me that Satan can appeal to to cause me to fail. Why? Because there's nothing in my blood that's Adamic. You and I can't say that. There may be something in us to appeal to us to lie, to cheat, to fornicate, to commit adultery, to get drunk. See, that, that's where Satan comes to in your life. He wants to meet you at your place of your humanity wherein he can tempt you and make you fall and make you fail. Jesus was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. You cannot say that. Hebrews 4.15, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was at all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He knows the temptation, but he never fell into the lust. See, Adam and Eve, well, let me say Eve was tempted. And then the lust was conceived, and she said, oh, this is, this is desirous to be had now. I want it. I want it. And that's James 1, 15. When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. This is, this is the pattern. This is, this is the way the devil does it. And he will do it to you when you least expect it. You're not prepared for it. See, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. That's... Jesus didn't go there because there was nothing in him that Satan said, I can get you. Now, he tried. Remember in uh, Matthew 4, Luke 4, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. That's what John tells us in uh, 1 John 2, 15, 16. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It is not of the Father, but it is of the world. Jesus was not of this world in that sense. He didn't have that fallen nature for Satan to appeal to. That's why Satan tried. But I believe the greatest temptation, which we never talk about, was when Satan said, if thou be the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. What's the temptation there? Making Christ doubt his relationship that he is the Son of God. See, the devil would like for Jesus to question, am I the Messiah? Am I really the Savior? Because he too was human. There's so many things that go on in the spiritual realm. But I believe that was the genuine first temptation, not turning the stone into bread, but tempting him in his relationship with the Father. If thou be the Son of God. Now, do you think Jesus didn't know he was the Son of God? Sure he knew. You think the devil didn't know Jesus was the Son of God? Sure he knew. Uh, Luke 2.49 Wished you not that I must be about my father's business? 
Jesus at the age of 12, he, he knew. See, and again, that's what Satan seeks. So how do we how do we keep from falling into the trap, the snare, et cetera, et cetera? We keep from doing that by keeping ourselves crucified and dead in Christ. Paul said, nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. See, when Christ lives in you the pre- through the Holy Spirit, that's how Christ lives in us, it's through the Holy Spirit. And through that, when you're tempted, tested, tried, discouraged, beleaguered, weary, the presence of God in your life helps you to get over that hurdle, helps you to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. See, Ephesians 6.10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Remember, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, 1 John 4.4. It's God living in us if we remain crucified. Paul said, I don't live anymore, but Christ liveth in me. Christ liveth in me. I hope you're getting much from this. I certainly pray that you are. I hope you're growing exponentially and God is helping you in the deeper things. God bless you. Have a great evening. We'll see you tomorrow. Please be with us at Heritage USA, Fort Mill, South Carolina, September the 30th through October the 3rd. I'm looking for an old-fashioned Holy Ghost shakedown. I'm going to be there. I hope you'll be there with me. God bless you. I'll see you tomorrow in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Voice of Evangelism with David Langford is brought to you by the faithful listeners and supporters throughout America. If you're looking for an uncompromising message, we invite you to tune in each week to The Voice of Evangelism. For more information, write to The Voice of Evangelism at P.O. Box 502, Kayser, North Carolina, 28020. That's P.O. Box 502, Kayser, North Carolina, 28020.